The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The Gospel of the Lord. All right, good morning. My name is Drew, and I'm the pastor of Discipleship. And if you're a guest with us or you're part of the One Fellowship family, it's so good to be with you today. Uh, do we have any avid runners in here? All two of us. Fantastic. Um, that's what I expected. In high school, I ran track, distance track my junior and senior year. I ran the one mile and the two mile, and I also ran in a track club in our city, and I ran with an older gentleman in the church, and by older, I mean my age now, and we would go out on Saturdays, and we would run um, just in the city, and it was great, and, and he invited me into this one run that was coming up. It was a half marathon. I hadn't done a half marathon before, and I said, as a 17-year-old, of course, I'll do that. No problem. I run the one mile. I run the two mile. I'll be good to go. We get out there and we're running and the first few miles, I feel fantastic. I feel so good. And the next few miles, I feel okay. And around mile six, seven, and eight, I felt horrible. But I couldn't stop. I couldn't give up. It's this half marathon. But here is one of the most humbling moments of my entire life. And definitely the most humbling is a 17-year-old running. I kid you not, mile number 11 or 12, a 92-year-old gentleman passed me. <laughs> Not kidding. I learned an important lesson that day, and that was to prepare. You need to be prepared. And if you've been with us over these past now three weeks, and as we continue over the next three weeks with this one campaign, that's essentially what we're doing as a people. And even if you're a guest today, this is for you too, that we're preparing that we're seeking God and we're preparing our hearts, that we're being intentional and we're asking him what part he would have us play as he leads us into generosity and faith and shows us what part he really wants us to play in this next chapter, in this moment and movement of the gospel through our church. And a piece of that preparing is prioritizing. I don't have to tell you this, but I will. Every single one of us know this, no matter what age you are, there are so many things in your day-to-day and week-in and week-out that are competing to be the priority in your life. Not just a priority, but the priority in your life. And some of these, we quickly can identify and stop at the gate of our life and say, okay, that shouldn't and that can't be a priority. That needs to be put to the side or that needs to be completely rid of my life. But what about the other things? What about the seemingly good things in our life that become more difficult to figure out where exactly should that go and where does that fit when it comes to being a priority? And so as we seek God today in this passage that you just heard read and as we as a church body, as we open up our hearts as individuals, as a church, here's the big idea that's gonna become very clear that even good things can cause us to miss out on the greatest thing. 
And before we jump into this passage again, would you just pray with me one more time? Jesus, we thank you for being the word. We thank you for giving us your word. And we thank you for this passage this morning. Wherever we find ourselves in our faith, in life, God, would you meet us there today? God, when it comes to priorities, there really are so many things pulling at us. And there are so many good things pulling at us. So would you clear the fog? Would you weed through the distractions, the challenges, all of it, and would you speak into our life? Would you speak into our heart? Holy Spirit, would you move in a way that challenges and also transforms us? Because God, we believe that you are good and we believe that you have good for us. So we trust you now with this time. As individuals and as a church family, God, wherever we may be, we trust you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name, amen. All right, so we're gonna jump into this passage, Luke chapter 10. It's gonna be behind me on the screens. You can also turn there if you want or jump there on your phone, but we're gonna go right into this. Here's what it says in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, this is Jesus and his disciples, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, this is a really big deal. This is not a casual thing in this culture. Coming into someone's home, especially sharing a meal, this was much more intimate. This wasn't just like a casual meal on a weeknight that we might get together with friends or family. There was preparations that took place. It was a huge deal. And imagine that the person that's coming to eat with you and be in your home is Jesus, the Son of God, right? Really big deal. I mean, think of a celebrity you really like or an athlete or a musician. Imagine them coming to your home. You're gonna wanna be prepared. You're gonna clean in a way that you've never cleaned before, right? All of a sudden behind the couch is actually getting clean today. In the china that you haven't taken out of your closet since you got married, and maybe that's just me, it finally comes out, right? And you're gonna use that good china because someone that you feel important is coming into your home. That's what's happening here. That's the scene here, that Jesus has come to town. His disciples have come to town. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, who people have been waiting for hundreds of years to come, is entering your home. Not a small thing. And so when this happens, it says that Martha, she had a sister, Mary, who's living with her. They're living together. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So as Jesus enters the home, Martha meets him, greets him. Mary makes a beeline to Jesus to sit with him, her Lord. Let's pause right there for a second. What kind of God invites us to come and sit with him? Especially at this time, a woman. Because in this culture, this would have been completely unheard of. A God who wants to be intimately intertwined in your life who cares about the real you, your real fears, your real doubts, your real joys, who wants to sit with you where you are as you are. So Mary sits at the feet of Jesus. As a scholar notes, she takes the position of a disciple. She wants to be close to him. She wants to learn from him. She wants to soak it all in. Guess what? This didn't sit as well with Martha. Verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Personally, I can relate with Martha here. Can anybody else relate with Martha? It's like, come on, Mary. 
Like, this is a big deal. It would be great if you could come help. Like, I know that Jesus is here. I know, I know we want to talk to Jesus. We want to be with Jesus. But there's a lot to do over here. We need to do these things. We, we need to take care of and be hospitable. And I can totally relate with that. And it's easy to look at both sisters, and it's easy to compare and contrast them. But really, I think what this is showing us is that both sisters represent the restlessness of our hearts. What do I mean by that? Like Mary... There's a great desire to sit with Jesus, but like Martha, there's also a lot of distractions that could prevent that from happening. If we were on Sesame Street today, I've been watching a lot of Sesame Street, and it was the words of the day, it would be distractions and prioritize. That's what we see here. It says that she was distracted with much serving. She's making sure that everyone's taken care of. You'd say, what's wrong with that? That's a good thing. It's interesting here, though, that the verse says distracted. It doesn't say she was focused on much serving. It doesn't say that she's working hard on much serving. It says that she's distracted, meaning that she was missing out on something. Part of Newton's first law, an object in motion, gold star, stays in motion. It is the same with our lives and our hearts. Don't be deceived. We're always moving in different places, and so is our heart. And there's a temptation for our hearts to move even further and distance themselves from God, from the priority. When I was five years old, my family and my extended family, they took a trip to Florida to go to Disney World. Magical place, right? Not for me, not that trip. A lot of questionable things happened on that trip um, that I won't get into today. I would need a therapy session to do that. Here's one of those, though. We went to NASA. My dad loved space shuttles. As a kid, you love space, and you want to see all this. And NASA was completely packed this day that we're here, and I was five years old. And I'm standing right next to my mom and dad. But over in the distance, I see a little girl that's about my age, and she has lost it. You could tell she did not want to be there. This was not magical. This was not a good time. She's crying. She's screaming. As a five-year-old, I'm people watching. That's okay. As a five-year-old, it gets kind of weird when you're an adult. But I'm watching her. And I look back, and all of a sudden, my parents are not where they were. They'd kept moving, and I lost it. Because uh, in the midst of everything that was happening, everybody was moving. I was standing still, but they were moving, and there was this distance that was created. In our lives, in our hearts, in our day-to-day, our lives are always constantly moving. Our hearts are constantly moving closer or further away from things. And this big idea that even good things can cause us to miss out on the greatest thing, whether it's something large, whether it's something small, hear this, anything that comes between you and Jesus, anything, anything that comes between you and what Jesus is calling you to is a distraction from the greatest thing, anything. Now, you might say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Does that mean that I shouldn't care about my family? Does that mean that I shouldn't care about my relationships? Does that mean that I shouldn't care about my job? Does that mean I shouldn't care about making sure that people are taken care of? Does that mean that I should neglect these things? Absolutely not. Here's what this means. That God wants us and we need, as followers of Christ, for everything else in our life to come underneath the lordship of Jesus. That's that's the place that it needs to be in. That Jesus would be the priority, that he would be prioritized, and everything else finds its best place underneath that. See, Martha's heart, we we know that it wasn't in a bad place. There's no doubt as you look at the Gospels and you see Martha's relationship with Jesus, she absolutely loves Jesus. I know that you love Jesus, but her priorities were off. 
And it's so easy for that to happen. We know that in the world in which we live. Look at verse 41 here. But the Lord answered her. So Martha's like, hey, could you please nudge Mary to come and help? The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. And this is such a loving thing. When he says your name twice, it means he loves you. He's not getting on to you. Imagine he's like, Martha, Martha. He cares about her heart. He cares about yours too. He knows everything that's gonna happen this week in your life. He knows everything that's gonna try to pull you one way or the other, and he cares about you. So whatever your name might be, insert it there. Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. Another way to say it, she was consumed by other things. These competing priorities. Some of these are brought on by busyness. We know that, right? Anybody can relate with that? We have packed schedules. We have packed calendars. There's very little margin, and it's tough. We find ourselves incredibly busy as margin gets smaller and smaller, and these are often good things. But what I found in my life, especially a few years ago, is that I felt this need to justify my busyness, that I constantly needed to be going, that I always needed to be on, that I would tell you about every single meeting that I would have and every single person I would have over to dinner. There was this inner need that I felt like that was just a part of keeping up with everyone else and keeping up with culture. But at the same time, here's what I also realized. I was completely worn out in most of my relationships relationships were surfacy at best because I was unable to be intentional and go deeper because my mind was constantly going, my life was constantly going and it had to stop and it had to slow down. It had to de-hurry, it had to de-busy, not so that we could isolate ourselves from others so that we could be more intentional in relationships that were crucial and in places that were crucial. We know that busyness can cause this. Also, just being anxious. That's what Jesus says here to Martha. Martha, you're anxious about many things. Maybe that anxiety is brought on by providing. And so it results in trying to store up money. So that becomes the priority in our life. Maybe it's brought on by a certain standard that we believe we need to live up to, whether that's brought on by family, whether that's brought on by culture. And so maybe our career or our stature is the thing that becomes the priority in our life. Maybe it's an anxiety about failure. And so being successful, whatever that looks like, whatever that means at your job and your family and life, that becomes the main thing. Or maybe it's just a general fear And so our faith is really challenged and we find that lacking. And then there are many other competing priorities. Essentially, anything that comes to mind that finds itself, consumes our heart and sits in a seat that's reserved for Jesus. That could be a dream, that could be a desire, that could be wealth, that could be a relationship. In and of themselves, these may not be bad things, these may be good things in our culture and society would even set these things and affirm these things as the greatest priority, the most important thing that you could give your time to. But hear this, Jesus has something different to say. And it's not because he wants to put an extra weight on you, it's because he wants to take it off of you. He says this, verse 42, don't miss it. But one thing is necessary, one thing. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary's priority was in the right place. Eugene Peterson, a writer and pastor, says it this way, that Mary chose the main course because she chose Jesus. She wanted desperately to sit at the feet of Jesus, to be close to the heart of God. And I believe that when we get close to the heart of God, he primarily shows us and reminds us over and over again of three things. He shows us how much we need him, 
his goodness and his grace that we're broken. No matter how hard we try to hold it together, no matter what type of facade we put on, that when we actually look in the mirror, we realize that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And that's also true in our lives. Broken relationships, pride, anger, fears, all these things that come in. Instead of there being bad news that we're alone and we're on an island in our life, Jesus, when we draw close to God's heart, he reminds us of his goodness and his grace that we need more than anything. He also reminds us how much he loves us, how much he loves you. Maybe it's incredibly hard to believe today because of what happened yesterday, what happened a year ago, what happened 10 years ago. Jesus loves you. Not as you're going to be, he loves you as you are. Your brokenness in all. You are not damaged goods. You are not a throwaway. You are intentionally created, beautifully made, and he loves you. And as you draw close to God's heart, he will remind you time and time again, even when you fail, even when you falter, even when things fall in and crumble in on themselves in your life, Jesus says, my love is good for you as you are right here. And he also says this, I love the people around you whoever they are. I love the people around you. And as I have a heart for them, I want you to have a heart for them. As we draw close to God, this is what we see. These truths that God places in our hearts that calm our anxieties, that push back at competing priorities, and that allow us to realign our lives around the person of Jesus and the heart of Jesus. And when we do this, here's where he takes us. Look at Matthew 6 real quick. He says, therefore, don't be anxious about anything. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What Jesus tells us is that when he is prioritized, when he is the priority, when we seek first the kingdom, his kingdom, we're assured that God will take care of all of our needs, every single one of them. Wait, all of them or just 75%? All of our needs, all of your needs tomorrow, Jesus will meet because he's met your greatest need of all in and of himself. What Jesus offers is better. What Jesus offers is eternal. What Jesus invites every single one of us into is an eternal story where the stakes couldn't be higher. He offers a life full of love and grace. That's what his life was poured out for. His heart beat its last so that your heart could be forever connected with his. And in the same way that he's given you new life, he wants to see others brought into the family as well. We're being challenged and we're being sent, not just to receive and consume grace and get on with our busy agendas, but to take that same grace, that same good news out into our city, to know Christ and to make him known. That's the very essence of our church. That's the mission of our church. Why? Because that is the mission and heartbeat of God, that the heartbeat of our church would be God's greatest desire, knowing that Jesus offers us and every single person on Daniel Island, on Mount Pleasant, in North Charleston, what he offers is better, far better than what the world offers. And all of its anxiety-ridden, distraction-filled rat race trying to live up to the status quo, be the best, do the best, get the most, impress the most. Jesus is worth more than that. And his agenda isn't one of busyness, anxiety, and pain. But here's what it is. It's an agenda. It's a mission of love and compassion and grace. And it's for you and it's for me. And that's good news. Amen? This is the heartbeat of God. This is what it looks like when Jesus is the priority. He gives us this good news. He allows us to sit and rest at his feet. 
that instead of giving in to the temptation to let culture set the bar of what should be the priority, Jesus says, allow me to do that. Allow me to do that. Allow me to be that in your life and everything else, allow it to fall in place underneath that. Because he actually wants to take your weariness, your brokenness, and your weight, and he wants to give you his goodness. And during this moment in our church, what I love is that we have a very unique and special opportunity to take part in this story. I want us to watch this video real quick. I think God is using One Fellowship in several ways in our family's lives. I think the first thing that happened was him going to the men's hike. I think it was a bit life-changing for him and impacted the whole way our family worked. Since going on that men's hike, I've found a new band of friends and brothers in Christ that have changed my life. Violet, our daughter, she was saved through um, the camp, the summer camp that the church does, and then she was baptized by Paul you know, a short time later. I'm excited about the One Campaign because it gives us an opportunity to put our money in a place where um, it will outlast us, and it's more important than anything else we're using our money for. And so, given a choice, I think that's the choice we wanna make. It's more nervous to give at those times, but it's also more exciting because you see you know, what your money is doing and uh, how we can be of use. We are most excited about the One Campaign because of how much that we've gotten out of One Fellowship at its current size. So I think in our minds, visualizing just the potential, the possibilities of, of what can happen when the church grows and we grow with it is very exciting to us. It was much easier when we first started tithing and uh, giving offerings because we had more margin. Um, things have gotten a little tighter and so for us to boldly trust God, I think it, you know, we have to really prayerfully consider our options and um, we really have to kind of reach deep for the One Campaign. And I think that we're gonna do it and we're excited to do it. One Fellowship is a great investment of time and resources because it seems like any time that I spend in it or any small groups that we join, I think that we almost always get more out of the experience than what we put in. And that's not why we do it, but it's just kind of a side benefit that, that we get. I love that. What you get the essence of there, what you can see really clearly is this idea, this concept of seeking first the kingdom. And that's what this campaign is really all about. If you think this is simply about building a building, you're missing it. God isn't calling us just to build a building. He's inviting us to build a lasting community, a flourishing city, and to be part of a gospel movement. I wanna say this and I believe this with all of my heart. This isn't a tagline, this, this isn't anything like that. I believe this, that there is no greater investment you can make than in the gospel. And as a community of faith here, if you call yourself a family member, a founder here at One Fellowship, there's no greater investment we can make than in this church. Now why do I say that and how can I say that? Here's why. Because God has chosen his church his bride that he gave his very life for to put the gospel in it and to see the gospel go through it. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, you are all part of the church, the large church, the big C church. 
And underneath that, we're a part of smaller local communities. One fellowship is one of those. And so God has placed his gospel in us, and he is going to move the gospel through us. And there's no greater investment you can make in the gospel. And so there's no greater investment we can make than in this church because we are praying that Jesus would do something phenomenal in our city and keep moving in people's lives, something eternal, something that doesn't die with us, but it keeps going on for decades to come, and we see the fruit of it in eternity, that when we meet with Jesus face-to-face, we also meet with others who we had no idea, our lives didn't pass, cross paths with maybe even in, this, even in this world, but our investments, the way that we step forward in faith, however that may look, with a dollar, with a hundred dollars, with a thousand dollars, with a hundred thousand dollars, that all of it God can use for a gospel movement and a kingdom impact. That's why this is such a great investment because Jesus has chosen his church to take the gospel in and through it, in it. The, the greatest thing about this moment in our church and this campaign, it's, it's not the structure, it's the kingdom impact the structure will allow us to take part in. That we wanna see a kid's space where children can come and they can sing and they can learn about the love of Jesus. We wanna see more families come into the church. We wanna see space for children to be creative and to do all of these different things, but all focused on the person and work of Jesus, that they would come to know Jesus, that their parents would come to know Jesus, that brothers and sisters would come to know Jesus, that the neighborhood would come to know Jesus. We wanna see the same thing for students, that they would come and they would learn and they would grow and they would be challenged to go out boldly into their schools so they wouldn't see four years of being a freshman to a senior just as four years to get to college, but four years to invest in their friends, that their friends' lives would be changed by Jesus, that they would prioritize Jesus. That's what we want to see, a space where we can worship proudly, boldly, elevating Jesus, that we can trust the Holy Spirit to move and work. This isn't about just the name of a church or a structure. This is about the gospel moving forward in a way that Jesus has always wanted it to, that he gave his very life for this. There's no greater investment because it goes on decades beyond us and it goes all the way to eternity. That's why we prioritize Jesus. That's why this is an awesome opportunity and a moment for us to be a part of because it's everything. It's at the heart of God. It's at the heart of people. God's heart for people. We wanna see more people meet Jesus as the gospel goes through us, don't we? Don't you wanna see your neighborhoods changed? Don't you wanna see your workplaces changed? Don't we wanna see the city completely changed? We're stepping forward in faith, trusting that Jesus and God wants the same, and that's happening not just here, it's happening all around us, but we get to take part in something so special that we're stepping forward in faith and that we're trusting that God is moving because there's a big difference between religious organizations and gospel-saturated community. Religious organizations often offer different rules that you need to live by and an extra weight that's put on you. A gospel-saturated community offers freedom found in the person of Jesus and that's what we are. And we wanna saturate the city with it, with Jesus. So how do we respond to all this I highlighted just three things for us to think about today. That we would first identify where there are false priorities in our life and for us to just sit for a moment even now and to think about that, what is it? What's that thing that we know that's taken that top spot that absolutely shouldn't be there? Whatever that may be, that we would ask God to bring that up, to bring that to our heart, to bring that to our mind and that we would sit with that for a moment and then we would actually take a step forward in that and that we would confess that to God. And what I love is that when we go before God, he doesn't, 
meet us with an iron fist. He doesn't bring shame. He doesn't bring guilt. He doesn't bring pain. But instead, when we come to him and we confess and we repent and we turn away from sin or from false priorities and we turn to him, he offers grace, he offers compassion, he offers kindness. And so there's room and space today to confess those things and then to seek, that we would take the next step and we would seek him. We would seek him for our lives. We would seek him in our community and we would seek him even in this moment in our church. Where is he leading us? To sit some things down and to pick other things up that will have an eternal impact. Even good things can cause us to miss out on the greatest thing. And that's seeking Jesus and investing in his kingdom. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love. God, we pray that you would grow us in so many different ways that, God, we wouldn't get lost in the weeds, but that we would see the big picture. God, that we would look inward at our own lives. Where do you need to realign our hearts, realign our minds, realign our families, realign our even way of living, way of doing life, God? Where would that be? Where are those places? And would we, would we invite you in to work, to move? In God, that we would also see beyond us that we're a part of something far greater, not because of our works, because of your grace that you've invited us into. God, that it's an act of faith that we get to follow you, that we get to trust in you. So God, would you be the main thing, the greatest thing in our life? Would everything else fall away or fall underneath your lordship? And Jesus, I don't know, but maybe there's someone in here today. Maybe there's someone in here today that doesn't have a relationship with you. Would today be the day that they start that new and life-giving relationship? Simply acknowledging and offering you their sin and receiving your life. And we celebrate that as a church family today. There is no greater investment that we can make than in the gospel. We believe that you gave your very life for that reality. Jesus, thank you for your love, for your goodness, for your compassion, for where you've brought us, for where you're taking us. We say all of this, Jesus, in your name, amen.